Aren't you in charge of him? Are we going to do that one? We grace and peace be with you from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. On Thanksgiving Eve, I talked about going to shop on Black Friday and the experience that it at one time was. But I have to admit, it wasn't always that way. In fact, there was one occasion, slightly after I started getting into online shopping, if you will, that I, for whatever reason, forgot that it was actually Black Friday. I decided to wake up early. I was going to make cinnamon rolls for everybody. And so I woke up early and realized I was out of two things. In fact, it was, they were silly things. It was actually cinnamon and sugar. Who makes cinnamon rolls and forgets that they're out of cinnamon and sugar? I did. And I decided, oh, this was an easy fix. I'll just run to Walmart really quick I'll get the cinnamon, I'll get the sugar, I'll be out in a jiff, and it'll be fine. When I got there in the morning, I looked at the parking lot, and I said, wow, this place is packed. <laughs> it still didn't dawn on me. It still didn't occur to me what was going on. I walk into the store, and I was met with a shock and horror as I saw crowds of people crammed in. And that was back in the day. So, so for you youth out there that don't know, what they used to do is they used to tape off certain sections and aisles so that they, the line, the checkout line, would actually go around the aisles. And so that was what they were doing. They had, they had basically taped off certain sections of the aisles. I did venture out and go find the cinnamon and the sugar. I got in line and I said, this is going to take an hour for me to buy cinnamon and sugar. And so I decided to go somewhere else. I went to what was uh, there, the equivalent of a DG, basically. And I got my cinnamon and sugar, and I, I came home. And I, but I was also very distracted. You know when you walk in, you're like, oh, I'm just going to get this one thing. And then they had stacks of cheap games, and they had stacks of this. and they had you, you find yourself very distracted. And I was definitely very distracted that day. And I remember that. I remember going in there and just completely missing the mark on what day it was, what was happening, why it was so crowded. I had so many things that kind of got in my way that I wasn't quite thinking about what was going on. And I know we've all kind of had that. We've had that in our, our real lives. Like we've had that, we've had that in our worlds where we, we, we set our mind to do something and all of a sudden we find out that, oh wait, I forgot about this or I, I forgot about that. In our spiritual lives, that sometimes happens as well, doesn't it? We, you know, I mean, I, I, I think sometimes I, I, get sit, I, I get down, I get ready to pray, and then I think, oh, did I leave my stove on? And I don't know if you've ever done that. But then you have to get up and go check the stove. And it kind of interrupts your flow. It kind of interrupts what you're trying to do. It causes a little hiccup. A little hiccup in, in, in what you're trying to accomplish. But if we're honest... Sometimes those hiccups are a little bit more extreme, aren't they? Sometimes they're a little bit bigger than just, oh, did I forget if I left the stove on? Have you ever experienced something that so knocked you off your base that you were just left wondering? 
some tragedy in your life, some news that you got, and you're just, le- you're just left wondering why. Why did this have to happen? Why did I have to get this news? Why is this going on right now? And maybe you're even left wondering, why, God? Why? That's a little bit more than a hiccup, isn't it? It's a little bit more than just a distraction. And when you go to the Bible, when you go to Holy Scriptures and you kind of look for various times, various examples when things like this happen, and you go to all the Pauline letters, you, you find that Paul writes to these churches or they, they've got something wrong, maybe they, they're following the wrong prophet or they're following the wrong teacher, and you see all of these letters, you see James writing to a church, you see John writing about love, and you might even begin to wonder, has anybody else in the Bible ever experienced this? Have they ever been so rocked by something in their world, they're left really questioning things. And you see, we can read right past it when we're not looking, when we're not thinking. Because you see, in a lot of ways, this is actually what's going on in Thessalonica. When Paul sits down to pin this letter to this this young group of Christians in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians, he is writing to a group of people that have been knocked off their rocker. You see, Paul comes in one of his missionary journeys and he preaches to them and they believe him. He preaches to them about Jesus and they believe it. He teaches them that Jesus Christ died for their sins and they have faith. They repent of their sins. And Paul tells them that Christ is coming soon and they believe him. In fact, they believe so faithfully They never even really question it. In a weird way, this is actually one of the things that's going to cause the problems. You see, because Jesus is coming soon. Now when I say that to you, we we are Christians that have been around for 2,000 years, and we go, yes, we know our Lord is coming soon. He might come tomorrow. He might come next week. He might come next month, next year, 1,000 years. We don't know. A thousand years is but a day to our Lord, and we don't know when he's coming. We just know he is coming. But to the Thessalonians, saying Jesus is coming soon is kind of like saying Jesus is coming tomorrow, next week at the latest. They quit their jobs. They quit working. They started mooching off their neighbors after their income ran out. If you, ever, if you ever want a good text to, to read to your children because they're not working hard enough, go to the very first chapters of Thessalonians. It's there. Paul is chastising this, this young group of Christians because they quit working. And he says, you have to earn your wages. You have to work. You cannot just mooch off of your neighbor. You have to work diligently. But it's later on that the real core of this letter comes. And that's what was really troubling the Thessalonians. It wasn't the work. It wasn't the wages. It was the fact that Jesus conquered death. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He was the first fruits of the dead. He had conquered death. Christians no longer would experience death. 
But then some of the Christians died. And all of a sudden, the Thessalonians were left with some really hard questions. What do you do with that? What do you do whenever your loved one passes away? If one person in that church dies, they might think to themselves, oh, maybe they didn't have real faith. But what happens when two of them die or three of them die? What happens when several Christians begin to die and all of a sudden they're left wondering, did Christ really defeat death? Did Christ really do what Paul said? Their whole, their whole world was rocked. Their whole faith was rocked. You see, they thought what Paul meant was that Jesus conquered death and death was no more. Nobody was ever going to die again. It was just over. But what Paul meant was that God, through Christ, is now more powerful. Christ was more powerful than death, even to the point that when the last day comes, when our Lord comes and descends from on high, he will rise up, even those that have died. Even those that have died will be raised from the dead and glorified bodies just like Jesus' body. And they will be with him for all of eternity. Yes, he has conquered death. He has conquered it. In fact, one of the most comforting passages, especially if you find yourself in that state of grief and mourning, is actually just one chapter earlier. 1 Thessalonians 4 begins at verse 13. Paul tells them, he says, it's okay to grieve. When a loved one dies, we grieve, but we don't grieve like everybody else does. We grieve as those that have hope. We know what is to come. We know what's coming. And so we grieve with hope, knowing that Jesus will ascend from on high and will take us to be with him for all of eternity. Yes, Paul gives a very hope-filled message to people that have been completely knocked down. But as he kind of goes past that, Paul continues to talk to the Thessalonian Christians, and in a lot of ways, he talks to us this morning. And what does he say? He reminds us to be diligent, and he reminds us to be focused. What a very fitting text for this, Christ the King Sunday. For this, the last Sunday of the church year. To be reminded that yes, the end is coming. You might even say the end is near. Yes, we don't know when it is, but it is coming. Our Lord will come and he will come like a thief in the night. And so let us stay focused. Let us stay focused on our Lord, on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us stay awake as Paul says. Let us stay sober, that is, in our right minds. I love it when we do a baptism, we give the child or or even the adult a, a, a candle. And what do we say? We say, receive this burning light that you may be prepared for the coming of our Lord, that your light may shine. That's what Paul is telling us today. There's a lot of things in this world. There's a lot of things that are gonna happen to us that have happened. There's a lot of ways that we're going to be knocked off track. We're going to have hiccups and bumps in the road. But let us remember what Paul tells the Thessalonians and what Paul tells us. Focus on Jesus. Remember that through your baptism, you are a child of the light. 
You are a child of God. Focus on your Savior. Focus on Jesus. In his name, amen. And now may the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.